New Thinking Allowed, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be looking at the possible psychophysiology of the yoga chakra system. And let me say, if you're not familiar yet with the yoga chakra system, I'm linking right now to an interview previously conducted with Debashish Banerjee about the iconography of the yoga chakra system. My guest today, however, is Dr. Serena Roni Dougal. She is one of the rare people in the world who received a doctoral degree for doing a parapsychological dissertation. She is the director of the Psy Research Center in Glastonbury, England. She is also author of Where Science and Magic Meet and The Fairy Faith, an Integration of Science and Spirit. She is based, of course, in Glastonbury, England, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Serena. It's a real pleasure to be with you once again. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, a pleasure on, on my side as well. Um, it's certainly very interesting doing all these interviews with you. Well, it's giving you an opportunity to review papers you wrote a long time ago. We're going to be exploring the potential linkage between the yoga chakra system and the endocrine system of the human body. I know you researched it very intensely, but that was some time ago, and science is always changing, and, and yet I think the basic principle is quite solid. Endocrinologists will find that what I have to say is, is, is very much sort of skipping over the surface. Back in 1972, I sponsored a conference at the University of California on the frontiers of consciousness, and I had as one of my speakers Dr. Ramurti Mishra, who was a, a medical doctor and a yoga teacher, a guru, who had translated the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And his entire lecture that year was on the correlation between the chakras and the endocrine system. So this is an idea that has been kicked around by people, both Westerners and Easterners, for, for a very long time, and some of the correlations seem to be quite striking. I came into it because when I started to do my parapsychology PhD in London, I also joined the Satyananda Yoga Center in London and started to practice yoga and meditation then. So the two went hand in hand. Um, and Swami Satyananda, who started the Bihar School of Yoga, was very interested in linking yoga and Western science. And he had written a book called Agya Chakra, The Pineal Gland, which I read as part of my yoga studies. Um, and then I got sponsored by McDonnell Douglas of, of DC-10 fame. He was giving grants for students to attend the PA conference, which that year was in St. Louis. And I flew over, very excited, having been given the grant money just to present my idea for doing PhD work. I hadn't actually 
started doing the, the the practical experiments at that point it was still just in the review of literature stage and anyway I, I being the sort of person I am I jumped on the Greyhound bus from Chicago where I'd flown into down to St. Louis and arrived arrived at the campus um, one day early and what I hadn't known is that in America in the summer the campuses close because students have to work in order to pay their way through college. So I walked around for about an hour, pack on my back, and I didn't want to sleep out in the middle of an American city. And finally, I found down some steps behind some bushes a, a door that was open, and it was a little cafe, and there were a few students sitting around drinking coffee. So I got my coffee and went down, sat next to them and sort of went, well, excuse me, you know, could anybody put me up for the night? And this lovely young man who had hair down to his waist, this was the 70s, remember, said, sure, come stay with me. So he took me back to his place and introduced me to his lovely partner, who was a potter. Um, but he was doing postgraduate studies in um, psychoactive plants and he had a greenhouse full of all the different cactuses and plants that um, are psychoactive um, as well as a garden and morning glory trailing over the front door and all the rest of it and we got into conversation and with my PhD I was planning to use the Gansfeld to do the research because it was known to be psych inducive and I was interested in altered states of consciousness anyway. Um, so talking about that, he said, oh, that he had just come back from the Amazon region where he'd been staying with the Shua people. Now, this is long before the modern psychoactive tourism with people going for ayahuasca ceremonies. But he had been studying ayahuasca with the Shua people. And he had come across various papers and booklets written by Westerners concerning ayahuasca. One of these was Claudio Naranjo, a Chilean psychotherapist who'd been using it in his psychotherapeutic practice. Or at least he'd been using what is known as a sacred vine, Banisteriopsis carpi, which makes harmala alkaloids. And in the ayahuasca brew... This sacred vine is mixed with other plants that all contain DMT. So depending on which tribe, which region of the Amazon, they use different plants, but they're DMT plants. Anyway, Claudio Naranjo had just used the sacred vine um, in his psychotherapeutic practice. And he, in his writing, said that he considered that this vine took one into the state that Jung calls the collective unconscious that state of consciousness where we're linked with everything. Um, you know, it's a, uh, the archetypal state that all human beings will experience the same sort of images and, and state of consciousness. And he, 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 he suggested that perhaps ayahuasca worked because it was mimicking chemicals found in the brain. Um, now, this, this, this person I met at St. Louis also gave me Michael Harner's book in which there's an anthropologist called Kensinger 
who had been working with the Kashinawa people of the Amazon region who also use an ayahuasca brew. And there they will use it um, as a collective tribe, the, the men anyway, will gather in a, in a circle and the shaman will pass the brew around them and they will all take ayahuasca together in ceremony. And they reported information to Ken Singer that they had received on their ayahuasca trip that were clearly clairvoyant images of a town in Chile that he knew about and information about the death of his mother's father, which he only then heard about three days later by radio. So he was talking about the psychic properties of ayahuasca. Now, these two really intrigued me because of my readings of Satyananda saying that the pineal gland was the location for the psychic center, Agya Chakra, one of the chakras. So I came back home very excited by this sort of linking of, of three different aspects, the anthropological, the biochemical, the um, parapsychological, and the yogic studies, all coming in together, pointing to the same thing. Now, I had a friend who you might know, his name is Glenn Rhine. And at the time, he was doing his postgraduate studies in neurochemistry um, at a medical hospital in London. And he became one of the participants in my research. And when I told him about this, he was very excited too. And it's in pre-internet days now, well, you know, late 70s. But he, every time in his journal reading, he came across a paper that talked about the pineal gland, he would give me um, a copy of that paper. And in 1981, they, synth they, they, they discovered a chemical in the pineal gland, um, 6-methoxy-tetrahydro-beta-carboline, otherwise known as pinoline, which neurochemically is almost identical with the harmala alkaloids found in the sacred vine, which I found incredibly exciting because here was a link between the anthropological studies, the um, yogic teachings, and the neurochemistry of the pineal gland. Later, um, it was discovered that you also found DMT in the brain. So we have within our brains, partly manufactured and found in the pineal gland, our own endogenous ayahuasca. We don't need to go for a ritual. We don't need to have nasty vomiting experiences. Um, we just need to go to sleep at night. And a friend of, of the person who introduced me to all this in St. Louis um, was himself a neurochemist, and he wrote a paper for Medical Hypotheses um, in which he suggests that maybe this endogenous penoline DMT mix equivalent to the ayahuasca brew could be the trigger for dreaming. Now, in parapsychology, lots of research has shown that the dream state of consciousness 
is probably the most psychic state of consciousness that most human beings will ever experience. So if you look at the spontaneous case studies for the Society of Psychic Research, um, the Rhine Research Center also, um, um, oh, way back when, um, they also studied spontaneous cases and they all seem to show that the dream state of consciousness is one where the majority of precognitive experiences occur. I think it's 60%. So that, that was the beginning of it all, that it seemed as though the pineal gland, which was considered by the yogis to be the seat of Agya Chakra, which they called the psychic center, the third eye, actually had a physiological basis as well as the spiritual teachings of the yogis, and Satyananda considers that the Kundalini Yoga, of which the chakras are part, that this tantric yoga teachings go back 4,000 years. So teachings from age-old teachings, however old they are, age-old teachings, seem to have a verification by modern science. It's a wonderful introduction, Serena. Thank you uh, for that. You, you have a fabulous memory for these very seminal events in your life. I think it might be useful to point out that some of the early researchers uh, looking at these uh, harmala alkaloids, particularly harmaline, as I recall, it didn't know it had already been discovered and labeled as harmaline. And so when they learned about it and isolated it and, and heard of these stories coming, I think, from the shamans in, in South America, they actually named that drug telepathine. There was one person who named it telepathine, yes. Um, but that that name didn't stick. It, it was around for a very short time, and then they realized that te telepathine was, in fact, 10-methoxyharmalan, one of the harmala alkaloids. Well, another important uh, point coming from the yoga tradition is that you, you call it the, I think, the Agni Chakra, and I've heard it pronounced Ajna Chakra in any case. Many people suggest this is the master chakra. This is the chakra that is sort of in control of the chakra system, much as some people suggest that the pineal and pituitary glands are, are the master glands that control the endocrine system. Okay, so yes, yeah, so this is is one of the teachings about Agya Chakra. And I take the pronunciation from when I worked in the ashram in India. So we'll call this the Northern Indian pronunciation. Um, in the translation from Sanskrit to the modern Western alphabet, um, Agya got written down as A-J-N-A, which is why people who haven't heard it being pronounced by Indians call it Ajna. Um, whereas in India, uh, certainly in the, in the Northern Indian ashram I was in, it was pronounced Ayya. So, yes, the master gland, um, or rather the master chakra, the chakra in charge of all the other lower chakras. I like to think of the pituitary as the master gland and the pineal working hand in hand with the pituitary as the mistress gland. 
we have master and mistress working together. And what I find quite intriguing is that it, in when Glenn Ryan was giving me all these papers, again and again and again, I was reading papers in which the pineal gland was being linked with the thyroid glands, when the pineal was being linked with um, prolactin being being made in the mammary glands, when the pineal was being linked with the adrenals and the um, corticosteroids and uh, all of all of those hormones from from that gland and with the gonads, the genital glands. So again and again, there were these papers coming out. And in the reading, what came out is that the pituitary works as the on switch for the hormones, working through the the thalamic networks. so the pituitary is, is, can stimulate and signal the thyroxine to be produced, the adrenaline to be produced, prolactin to be produced, etc. Whereas the pineal, through the production of its neurohormone, and I stress neurohormone, melatonin, will work to shut down and close off the production of all of these hormones. Now, this is incredibly important, and I liken it to the fact that the children will run around the house switching on all the lights and leaving all the doors open, and the mother will go around switching off the taps, closing the doors, and switching off the lights, because she's more concerned about waste not, want not, and and making sure that things, you know, are, are put back in order. And that's why I call the pineal the mistress gland. She's the mistress of the house. Um, now, if you think of it, let's say you are in Delhi <laughs> and you're wanting to cross one of, you know, the six lane roads that, that they have there and there's traffic going every which way and there's bicycles going every which way and you see a friend on the other side and you don't want to lose that friend. So you just take your life in your hands, your heart starts beating, you're sweating under the armpits your stomach is churning, you've got those butterflies, and you just go for it and you weave between all the traffic and get to the other side and manage to meet your friend. Now, you want that heart to stop beating so fast. You don't want to carry on sweating under the armpits. You don't want the churning of the stomach anymore. You need to calm down, to ease off, to relax, And the gland that does that slowing down and cutting of it off is the pineal gland with the production of the melatonin. So it's incredibly important because if we lived with full-on adrenaline all the time, we would be having panic attacks, we'd be having heart attacks, we would um, be getting stomach ulcers, all of the negative things from, from too much adrenaline. Um, And if you look at a lot of the yogic teachings, they are all about slowing down, relaxing, becoming calm, becoming still. And these are all the attributes that the production of melatonin gives us. Now, in the initial discovery of melatonin, it was pineal star. It's a creature of the night, a bit like witches and bats and cats. And it starts production of the, the majority of the production, the, the, the key production melatonin after sunset. 
reaching peak production about six hours after sunset. So sometime around the midnight hour, plus or minus an hour, depending on winter, summer and so on. Um, and this was found to be the trigger for going to sleep because of its action in shutting down the thyroxine and shutting down the adrenaline and so on, taking one into the very still semi-hibernatory state that is the state of sleep, that is melatonin. So initially it was thought that that was all it does. But of course, even though peak production is around midnight and come the dawn, the pineal gland stops producing melatonin, there will still always be melatonin in the bloodstream. It is all still there all the way through the day. So it is it is performing its function 24 hours, even though its peak production is in the nighttime. One of the other interesting findings that you report is, is that melatonin occurs even in the most simple one-celled organisms. Paramecium. Well, another thing about melatonin, I believe, is that it is light-sensitive. It's also, as I recall, related to melanin, which has to do with skin color. Yes, so, so it's definitely related to melanin. What I'll tell you about the light context is very, very interesting. Um, if you think of reptiles like snakes, they have what one might call the old brain, um, and they haven't yet really developed much of what is called the midbrain, but a little bit. And the pineal gland is is there within the old brain and, and this reptilian brain. And it's literally a light sensitive gland at the top of the head. This light sensitive gland as mammals have developed and humans have developed has now gone into the middle of the head. So if you take a line through the third eye point and through the tops of the ears and down through where is the fontanelle that's open when we're born, going up the top of the spine and there into the center of the brain, that's where the pineal is in human brains. So it's no longer light sensitive in terms of being open at the top of the head as it is in, in snakes and reptiles. However, the eyes we always think of as the retina has the optic nerve. And the optic nerve comes into the brain, crosses over, and goes to the optic centers, the visual centers at the back of the head. The, there is another nerve that comes from the eyes. And this nerve is separate from the optic nerve, and it goes to something called the suprachiasmic nucleus, SCN. And this links directly with the midbrain and the pineal gland. So the pineal gland is getting its light signals directly from the retina of the eye. And this is what is known as the parasympathetic nervous system that, 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 that is working with this one. And the parasympathetic nervous system is a bit like what the pineal gland is doing at the hormonal level, it's doing at the nervous system level, in that it's the off switch for things. It's the it's a system that is dealing with relaxation, that's dealing with slowing down, that's dealing with calming down. 
in opposition to the sympathetic nervous system, which is the alert system, which is the get up and look about and be ready nervous system. So here again, we have this thing of the pineal gland being sensitive to light and being sensitive to light through the nervous system network of the slowing down, the calming down, the whole yogic teachings of how to become very centered, how to become very still. And uh, melatonin is also associated with sleep and with dreaming. I know my wife used to travel all over the world all the time, and she took melatonin regularly as an antidote to jet lag. Yes. Yeah, so in the early days, it was very much used as jet lag um, relief. Um, although one has to be quite cautious because melatonin is a wide-ranging neurohormone. And if you're just using it in order to go to sleep, what you are also disrupting is the production of the thyroxine, which is your metabolic level. Now, what's quite interesting is, of course, thyroxine is his throat, and that's another of the chakra points, the Vishuddhi chakra, which is located here at the throat. Um, and the thyroxine controls our overall body metabolic levels. So too little thyroxine, you are going to put on weight, your whole system is going to slow down, your mental system is going to slow down. So it's associated with people who, who are very low in intelligence and have real trouble in their thought processes. Um, and it also slows down your sexuality. Too much thyroxine, you burn everything up too fast, you become incredibly thin, your mind is going at an incredible rate, round and round and round, it means that you end up with insomnia, and you're also very highly sexed, because all of the hormones link in working with each other. So we have the feedback relationship between the thyroid and the pineal gland, the melatonin, that then switches off and relates to the sexual hormones, adrenaline and so on. So we cannot take any one of the hormonal endocrine glands by itself. They are all working together. Um, so so, so that's, that's this chakra point linking in with the melatonin. It also affects the mammary glands, the prolactin. And the prolactin we associate with lactation, breastfeeding with women who've just had babies. But prolactin is present in both men and women from a fetus who's only a few months old. Now, it's there all of our lives. It's not just to do with lactation. And what they've discovered is that prolactin is connected with our mood levels in terms of what used to be called manic depression and is now called bipolar. So if you think in the summer when there's much less melatonin being made because it's light for much longer, we all tend to become a bit more active. And some of us just become more active and some of us might slip over and becoming so active we become slightly manic 
And some of us might become more than just a little bit manic, dancing at festivals for three days and nights and, and that sort of experience. Some of us might actually shift into a psychotic stage of mania. In the winter, we get the opposite happening. So in the winter, there's far less light. It's far more dark. We're creating far more melatonin. We all want to basically be hairless bears and go into our bear cave and pull up the bear rug with a big notice saying, do not disturb until springtime. We slow down. It's a natural thing to slow down in the winter, become more slower. That's because of the melatonin and its effect on the thyroxine, which also affects the generation of prolactin. And we all become a little bit slower. Some of us become depressed. It's known as seasonal affective disorder. And we actually get depressed in the winter. And some become suicidal. And that's the extreme. So we've got, we've got this great continuum of the extreme with the bipolar disorder, where you become too manic, where you become too depressed. And those of us in the middle becoming more or less more active in the summer, less active in the winter. That's prolactin. And that is here at the heart. And it's the mood. It's our emotional state, as well as our activity state being linked with the thyroxine. But we call it a, a, a mood disorder. Yes, it's to do with, with mood, with, with that level of being super happy or super sad. Um, super happy in the summer, super sad in the, in the, in the winter. Um, so once again, we've got a link here between the yogic understanding of the chakra here at the heart center, Anahat chakra, and the hormones that are being made there. And if we think of the image of the breastfeeding mother and the deep love that is going on with the mother and the newborn child, and you only have to look at a newborn child and a mother when breastfeeding's happening, and you can tangibly feel that love that is going between them, deep, deep bond, then this is the ultimate essence of what Anahat Chakra and, and heart is about. And it's there at the hormonal level as well. I'll go on down, as you mentioned, taking melatonin for jet lag and the warning that you're not just putting yourself to sleep, you're also affecting yourself in all these other ways. Because the next chakra down, Manipur chakra, is at the navel. Um, and this connects with the adrenal glands. And if we think of the navel, one of the things the yogis say is that Anahat chakra will be burning up the nectar that is produced, the nectar of life, let's call it, that they say is produced by Bindi in the, in the back of the brain. Um, and this nectar which comes down to the throat. And Anahat Chakra is a place of burning up. It's the solar plexus. It's the burning up place. You, you mean the Manipura Chakra? Manipur Chakra, yes. Manipur Chakra at the navel. Um, the solar plexus, the, 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 the one that the yogis say burns up the nectar of immortality. And I've already described what happens with too much adrenaline, how we're literally burning ourselves up by energizing ourselves too much. And the same is true for the other hormones produced 
at this level, um, which are the corticosteroids and, and the other steroids that, that are produced. So again, we've got a correspondence between what the yogis are saying is connected with this chakra point, which is to do with fear, which is to do with anger. All of that aspect of our being is is literally directly connected with the hormones here. And then the bottom two chakras, Swadhisthan and, and Muladhar, the root chakra, um, depending on which system you look at, they are both in some way connected with our sexuality. They're both definitely connected with the sexual hormones. The root chakra is our life force chakra. It's the source of the kundalini. It's the source of the life force of the universe. And we can see that in sexual terms in that it's the source of the, the, the seed that is going to generate new human beings. This is the, the, the generation of life force in terms of new beings. But also what we get with the sexual hormones are the secondary sexual character characteristics. And these are more connected with Swadhisthan at the sacrum. The two are very closely linked. There's less than a thumb distance between the root in the perineum and, and, and the sacrum. And these secondary sexual characteristics are what define us as gender. It's your maleness. It's your femaleness as a whole aspect of your being. So it's not the life force generation of Muladhar, but it's how you are in the whole of your being relating to and being related with the rest of the universe. Um, so I find it really... It, it, in terms of my yogic practice, in terms of my working with the chakras as part of my daily pranayama and meditation practice, I find it incredibly useful to understand the chakras in this way because I'm seeing them as node points, as nexus points, where the physical, in terms of the actual physical gland, and, and the hormones, in terms of the emotional, which I've talked about, the, the fight or flight of, 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 of Manipur or the heart love of, of Anahat, um, the emotional aspect, the mental aspect, which I've talked about. So let's say the overactive mind with the thyroxin or the underactive mind. Well, if you're experiencing fear, you experience anger and that affects your mental level which links in with the psychic level. So we've not only got the psychic in terms of Agya Chakra, the third eye, the psychic center, but we talk about gut intuition, you know, driving by the seat of your pants where you're reacting incredibly fast to the tractor that's coming around the corner of a, of a road where you can't see around the corner because of the hedges, and yet you know that you need to put on the brakes because something's going to happen even before you can see and hear that that one, that gut intuition. Um, so we've got a psychic aspect to them all and then the spiritual aspect in terms of one's personal self-development. So with yoga, we're talking a holistic spiritual path where we're talking about not only interacting 
in terms of outside of space and time and that aspect of our being, which is the oneness within the whole universe and linking into that center where all just is, we're also talking about developing ourselves to become compassionate, wise, generous, kind, thoughtful, holistic human beings to be for the benefit of all beings at all times. And this needs us to develop but work with the physical, through the emotional, through the mental, and through the psychic. One of the interesting metaphors that is often associated with the chakras is the lotus flower, the idea of the lotus flower opening and closing at different times. Uh, it sort of reminds me of the cycle of, of the various endocrine glands as well, that they have uh, times of quiescence and times of activity. Yes, they do. So, again, back to what you said before about the taking of melatonin for jet lag, and me giving a warning about this is that let's say you have an underactive thyroid for whatever reason, and you are given thyroxine to take to boost it, you need to be very careful what time of day you take it. Um, you need to take it in the morning rather than in the middle of the day or the evening because it's going to be most effective when taken at that point. So we not only have time of day stuff, we also have age of life connections. Um, the pineal gland is the off switch as we've already said and one of the things it switches off are the sexual hormones, which is actually what enables humans to stay as children for as long as we do. We only develop our active sexuality when we become teenagers. We have all of that period of time without the sexual hormones, where as humans we are able to do our learning and our growing and our developing without any, shall I call it interference, which comes in when we hit puberty and everything goes AWOL. And rather than thinking about getting our scholastic grades, we start thinking about people of the opposite sex or the same sex. And we certainly get diverted, let's put it that way. Now, what keeps us children for as long as we are is the pineal gland. And the highest melatonin levels are made during our early years. And as we come into puberty, melatonin production drops by half. As we come into puberty, we are producing half the amount of melatonin that we did as children. From then on, it does carry on dropping right throughout the rest of our lives, although we're always still producing melatonin throughout all of our lives. And let's say one of the reasons that older people will often have sleep problems is because by the time you hit the ages of 50, 60, you're only producing 25% as much melatonin as you were when you were a child. 
So we can see that the, that the hormonal changes are changing throughout all of our lives, as well as changing on a diurnal daily basis. So we've got the change on a daily basis. We have the change on a lunar cycle basis, the menstruation mental cycle of women, which is also true for men. They have a monthly cycle as well in their hormonal production. We have the annual cycle that I've been talking about, um, the high activity in the summer, low activity in the winter. And we also have the cycle of our lives and the changes that happen through the hormones through the whole of our life. So yes, the pineal gland production of melatonin and its effect on the hormones and our understanding of the chakra system in this way is is a timekeeper in some way, is a is a clock in some way, not only in terms of night and day, but but as a as a lifetime clock through the months and through the seasons. Of course, somebody might listen to this discourse and get the impression that you're taking a materialistic point of view, that it's really the hormones of, of the body that are causal. Uh, but I understand that in the yogic system, causation comes from other levels completely and that the chakras also act as, you might say, transducers of, of uh, energy from non-physical levels into the physical. It is so interesting, isn't it, that when you um, talk about understanding things from what's going on in the body, that people immediately assume that that's what is in charge. Um I have tried to say that they are node points, nexus points, where the physical, the emotional, the mental, the psychic, and the spiritual are all interacting very closely together. At every single aspect of our being, all of the different aspects are working together. You cannot say that anyone is in charge of anything else. We are holistic beings. We are a part of the universe and the universe is a part of us. We cannot separate any one aspect out from any other aspect. They all work together in a unified whole in a oneness. By talking about the endocrine aspect of the chakras, I'm merely bringing out a way of understanding how the physical, the emotional, the mental, the psychic, and the spiritual come together in a very clear way, which we might not see so clearly from other aspects of our being. But we have the saying that the body is the temple of the soul. It's the temple of the soul. The soul works through the body whilst we are incarnate in a body. At this moment in time, I am Serena in this particular body. At a spiritual level, I am infinite and eternal. I am the oneness of the oneness. But in the oneness becoming manifest in this material world, 
so I have this particular temple for my particular soul. But we do not at any point want to separate out any one thing from the other. Uh, th there's another saying that, of, that you are what you eat. Because I eat only organically grown food that has been lovingly cared for in my own allotment for my vegetables and my own love and care, so I imbibe as my food for my temple that which is composed of love and care and will nourish me not only at the physical level but at this emotional, psychic and spiritual level as well. Whereas if I bought chickens that have been brought up in the most horrific conditions where they can't even stand up on their own because they're so squashed together with all the other chickens and then they're murdered in the most inhumane ways and they're fed the most awful food or animals that are fed chemicals and, 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 and just the horror of the food industry. And this applies in many countries of the world, although I can think of some countries that are worse than others. Or animals that go to abattoirs where they are just so scared before they're killed that the whole of their system is flooded with fear hormones. And so you are eating not only the nasty chemicals that have been put into them whilst they were alive, but also all that fear when they are being killed, that is going to affect you because that is what you are imbibing into the temple of your soul. And so you as a human being are going to not only be physically ill, you are going to become emotionally ill, mentally ill, psychically ill and spiritually ill. So we cannot separate any one aspect of our being out from any of the other aspects. Sorry, I'm a bit passionate about that one. You you are indeed, and it's beautifully put. And it's not just passion that comes through. I have to say it is also wisdom. Another aspect, I think, of both the endocrine system and the chakra system is that when you start studying them each, they are enormously complex. There are people who spend a lifetime just studying the endocrine system and a lifetime just spending, uh, a, a studying the, the chakra system. I know of some systems where they claim there are over a hundred different chakras and with regard to the production of hormones, I understand that the, the synapses, every synapse of every neuron, and we have billions of them, are producing hormones in, in the body. So it's wonderful that you're able to tease out this system, given that how complex it is. Uh, your understanding of it uh, is, to my way of thinking, crucial, Serena. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jeff. What I've given you is what has sort of I've retained through my own personal practice and what I have found useful and helpful in my daily being. Well, I feel very honored to have this time with you. You are able to combine, to my way of thinking, the best qualities of a parapsychologist, of a 
student of magic and mysticism and a, a student of science at the same time. I'm, I'm grateful for this time with you, Serena. I hope we have many more conversations as well. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's been the most interesting discussion. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.